You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. I'm going to have to spend the whole hour trying to think of something to rant or rave about. I, I hate that. It's so, it's so distracting. All right, the welcome. Or the ranting and raving? The rant, worrying about your rant or rave the entire show. <laughs> How can you not have a rant or rave rhetoric? I, that's all I think about all week long is what I'm going to rant about. That's because you're unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to episode 47 of The Hammer Factor. My name is John Grace, the show producer, although I may have been like pushed out. There may be some kind of hammer factor coup going on or something. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I'd like the to hammer wel- faction. Yeah, the hammer faction. I'd like to welcome uh, back to the show after his vacation, um, co-owner of Immersion Research. Forced exile, I think, would be, would be more correct. But go ahead. <laughs> co-owner Sorry. of Immersion Research, four-time <laughs> upstream national champion and whitewater legend, John Weld back from vacation. Lewis and I were holding down the fort um, while you were gone. Also, Lewis Geltman, poker champ, North Fork champ, policy champ. Um, Back to the show. Guys, 47 episodes deep and we're still getting more subscribers to this show. So it's important for me to, I feel like it's redundant for me to introduce you guys every show, but every show we have more people listening. So Many of them feel empowered to immediately write in and explain what we're doing wrong. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Which we'll, is actually how I actually how I got this job. Was... <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I never thought about that. Before we get yeah. into the show, for the people who haven't been listening for, since the beginning, you guys did episode one, and I said listening to you two is all of my podcasting dreams come true, and then explained to you the seven things you were idiots about. <laughs> The next thing I knew, I was I was on here. So instead of getting instead of getting, a, instead of getting a, yeah, <laughs> thank you for the uh, email. We were like, okay, you're so. Uh, um, let's start this episode out. This episode, of the Hammer Factor, is brought to you by CKS Main Street in uh, BV, Colorado, the premier paddling shop in the Arkansas Valley. CKS will once again be hosting Paddle Fest Memorial Day weekend, May twenty fifth through the twenty eighth. This weekend-long event is the best way to kick off the paddling season in the Arkansas Valley. We have a massive selection of used gear at our swap, a weekend-long sale with 15% off everything in the store, demos of our newest 2018 boats, and a fleet of reps from all the major vendors on the floor to answer your questions. You can even find Weld on the floor to discuss the finer points of paddle length and offset, which we'll discuss later in the show. Um, we also have a host of amazing events, and this is super exciting because if you go to the CKSPaddleFest.com website, they have a lot of instruction, events, demos, all kinds of crazy things I didn't even know about. But if you go there and type in in all caps your promo code HAMMERFACTOR, all caps, all the way across, the co- all the way across you're going to get a... 15% discount off of all of those, uh, off of any of the courses that you want to sign up uh, up for there. Also, each night there is an offering of live music as well as local food and beverage vendors to celebrate the after paddle in style. The website is live so you can see the schedule and register your, for your events at cksbattlefest.com. Don't forget promo code HAMMERFACTOR, all caps. Get your discount there. Um, with any of those events that you want to get on. Mark your schedule May 25th through the 28th. uh, Beautiful Buena Vista, Colorado. Yeah, 
CKS. I had a CKS moment this week. Actually, you know, there's two CKSs. There's, there's CKS Online and CKS Main Street. But Bobby called me from CKS Online, the, the other one, not the one doing Paddlefest. And I got to tell you, <clears throat> he sounded exactly like Earl. And he didn't always <laughs> used to sound like this. I mean, identical to Earl. It's trickled down. <laughs> well, do you guys know Earl? Oh, yeah, I know Earl. I got to, for those of you who don't know Earl, Earl's in BV. I have to word this carefully. <clears throat> Earl, Earl used to be a person that lived in BV. Okay. Because Earl is still there, but he's no longer a person. Earl ascended into like a Cal, like a, like a, a Colorado beautification. He had like a beautitude, like a sainthood like yeah. 40 years back. <laughs> Yeah, he, he achieved like that, <laughs> that, that Colorado beautitude. Is that a word? Beatitude. I think it is. Beatitude. Exactly. <laughs> About four years ago, and <clears throat> and I was thinking that maybe uh, Bobby was on en route to achieving Earl as well. Um, have you guys seen Earl recently since he's achieved beautitude? I haven't. Beatitude. <laughs> I I haven't, but I I really want to. Can you tell me what he looks like? <laughs> Well, listen, anybody who's been to Colorado, anybody who lives in Colorado knows what I'm talking about. It's Earl's very busy. He's always doing something. He has no visible means of income. He's very fit. <laughs> he doesn't eat. In fact, leading up to the beatitude. Is that right, Gilman? Beatitude? What's the correct the, pronunciation? Leading up to the beatitude, <laughs> he was eating like lemon a day or something. We used to hang with him at the trade shows, and there would be almost no food intake. Um. And then he ascended at some point over the past few years, and that's where he is now. And I was listening to Bobby thinking he is achieving Earl. He's becoming <laughs> – he's achieving that status. But then I had a second thought that maybe there's like a Colorado accent that is real. Because I, I don't think Bobby's from Colorado. Yeah, But maybe. there is kind of a Colorado accent, right? Well, when I think of Colorado accents, it's like hella sick and hella yeah, bro, and that kind of stuff. But That's uh, just the NorCal transplants. <laughs> maybe so maybe but in any case I kind of picture Earl like sitting lotus position on a bad fish sup like hovering seven inches above the floor in his house for most of the day <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be that needs to be the next Hammer Factor t-shirt right there yeah well if Bobby if you are achieving Earl more power to you I think that's wonderful uh, yes. well go to ckspaddlefest.com Killer event. There is always something to do there. I know I've had a lot of good times. Are you going, Mr. Weld? There's a good there's a good chance. Are we doing a live show there? That's what we keep tossing around, right? I know Fred has asked us. If you if you go, we'll make it happen. We'll figure out a way to make it happen. Geltman? Geltman's going very dumb. <laughs> going to Colorado I, to go kayaking? Is that something you're really advocating? <laughs> you see, here's the thing. I missed the show last week. It took you guys all five minutes to to get have like a very earnest discussion about SUP that perhaps was a little controversial in some ways, but I'm back. We're back to our roots, which is basically busting on Colorado. And isn't that we, what the yeah, show is all we, about? We in some ways? Yeah. All right. I'm, well, I'm, I'm happy to bust on Colorado, but you did miss a good show. Mr. Dan Gavir. I got to tell you, that guy has been around and seen some things. Yeah. He's been around forever. Um, real quick before we get into it, I got a couple things here. Uh, James Bird, North Fork Champion um, race organizer, North Fork Championships race organizer. Lewis, you know a little bit about that. Uh, 
The deadlines for their Whitewater Awards are on 420. So if you're April the 20th is the deadline for the uh, if if you want to get in. In, into that thing, I was talking to some James. I was messaging with James about some things, and he wants everybody to know that. Also, I kind of talked about this a little bit last week, and I'll put this. I'll, I'll link to this on the website. Um, you now can call in. We have a Hammer Factor hotline. Area code eight two eight seven six one 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 two one. Eight two eight seven six one 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 two one. So. We love. I, I got to object to using the eight two eight area code for the the hammer factor email. <laughs> Jesus, Christ. Jesus Christ! This is the world I'm living in, hammerheads out there. You know what I'm saying? I can't please anybody on this show. You know, it's like the air- I think Lewis has a legitimate point of discussion. There's no question about that. I'm not necessarily disagreeing. Eight two eight. I'm not saying eight two eight is a bad choice, but I'm saying it's worthy of discussion. You making a statement for sure. the greatest area code for whitewater paddling in the United States. If you got some listener mail, please, I am requesting that all of our listeners out there, next time they have a concern, question, or anything they'd like to write into us about, leave us a voicemail. It'll be way better than me reading these things. Just put it in your phone right now, and you can drunk dial John Grace directly from the bar. Dude, Anytime some hammer factor related dispute comes up, you can leave John Grace a voicemail and he'll be glad to get it. Hey, you guys are going to get it too. So, you know, but you, you watch, that's what's going to happen. You know? So yeah. anyway, we'll have some fun with it. T-shirt news. We're sold out of t-shirts. T-shirts are gone. So Dude, mine never came. Mine never came either. This is a Ponzi scheme. This whole thing is a Ponzi scheme. God damn it! All I wanted was a Zippy Sub shirt. <laughs> we'll see what we can. We'll see what we can do. But anyway, those are all gone. Should we get into the show here? Let's 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 get right. This is okay. So we had man. How do we how do we introduce this segment? So normally we go into Lewis's show. We talk about a little bit of policy and some various things are going on. But I'm going to throw a listener mail at you. Um, to start this off, Lewis, and this comes from Billy Mullins. Okay, so is there a past tense for listener? <laughs> because this guy made it pretty clear he's not going to listen again, yeah, or gal. I'm not sure if it's a guy or a gal. He says, "Hello, I was excited to know there was a podcast about whitewater kayaking, which is my passion. A friend told me about the Hammer Factor. I read the description of the podcast with anticipation about whitewater risk." The beginning was great, but then it was a great disappointment and frustration. I had to listen to a lot of drivel about politics, which I fast-forwarded through and completely turned me off of the podcast. I want, if I want to listen to podcasts, I, if I want to listen to politics, I will find one on that subject. Unfortunately, to assume everyone who likes Whitewater wants to hear your political views or that you can change minds in political matters will be your downfall as a podcast about Whitewater kayaking. Sincerely, Billy. So, first of all, Billy, you're right. A lot of times when we like jump and if you've listened to other episodes besides that one, we have kind of reprimanded ourselves for jumping all over the place in politics, but... Politics and policy is very important to paddling, 
Rather than me say it, Lewis, I'm going to throw this over to you. What have you to say about Billy Mullen's listener email? I mean, Lewis, Lewis took his hat off for this, which is... <laughs> I mean, in, I mean, in anticipation of getting heated. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, first of all, I, I would just... It must be really nice to go through the world with the confidence su- sufficient to listen to one episode of a podcast and then opine on what will be our downfall. <laughs> um, but I'm just, I'm not buying the, the stick to sports argument, you know? And here's the thing. Here's, this podcast is about kayaking for sure, but it's about more than that. We're, it's about, you know, the whitewater industry. It's about the outdoor industry as a whole. It's about, you know, the things that affect you as a kayaker. And that includes policy and, politics and you know unless the only place you ever go kayaking is like the charlotte whitewater park where the water is recirculating and it's on private property and you just go up and show and pay your money the stuff that's going on in dc on public lands policy affects your experience as a whitewater kayaker you know where i live i drink straight out of the river every single day that i go kayaking and that's made possible by the Clean Water Act, which Scott Pruitt is actively working to roll back the scope of at EPA right now. When I go to the White Salmon River, the takeout for the trust, the put in for the middle, that is only a public access point because of the Land Water Conservation Fund, which is this program that funds the acquisition of you know things like access points. It's a program that's been around for 50 years, and it's about to expire this fall, and the Republicans in Congress don't want to see it. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the Republicans. Some members of Congress don't want to see this thing reauthorized. You know, when I go to the Mount Hood National Forest and go ride my bike, I have a say in how that place gets managed. And there's legislation in this Congress right now, like Bruce Westerman's Resilient Federal Forest Act, that would take the public voice out of management decisions for these public lands and basically just hand over decision making to timber companies. So, you know, this stuff affects us as whitewater kayakers and outdoor recreationists every single day. But, you know, I guess what I will say to Billy's point is, you know, I think when we started, when we started doing this podcast, I think I was probably a lot more guarded and a lot more professional in the way I talked about this stuff and made more of an effort to be, you know, present it in a neutral bipartisan way. And as I've gotten more comfortable doing this, I've let my own personal politics, which anyone listening for 45 seconds is probably keenly aware of shine through a little bit too much. And I will try to do better on that front because, you know, while most of the real legitimate threats to this stuff right now is coming from Republicans in Congress and it's coming from this administration. You know, our organization, we have, you know, it's extremely bipartisan. Like you can look and see, you know, you can run like membership data against voter files and things like that and see what, you know, the membership of any organization looks like. And our organization and our member organizations are super bipartisan, like very close to a 50 50 Democratic Republican split. And, you know, if you're someone who, so we know that there are a ton of people out there who have a conservative worldview, you know, vote Republican, but who care about these issues because they're like joining American Whitewater or signing up for Outdoor Alliance emails. And so we know that there are people out there who think of themselves as conservative, who care about protecting these places in the same way that we do. And, you know, their members of Congress and this administration are not reflecting those values. And if you're someone who's conservative and cares about this stuff, you have a unique ability to communicate with your 
lawmakers about this and saying, look, you know, like I'm conservative, I support other parts of your agenda, but I'm not in favor of, you know, getting rid of the Clean Water Act or privatizing the national forests. And so I will try really hard to do a better job of speaking about this stuff in a less vitriolic way. Um, but if what you want is just to not think about politics and bury your head in the sand, I'm, I'm not going to help you. So well, that's what I got. That was very good, Lewis. I, I agree with you 100% on all that. And sometimes we do like lose the plot a little bit. But Billy, these things really do affect paddling. So as long as we're talking about policy that affects paddling, it is a big deal. It's a bigger deal than anything with paddle offset or any of the other bullshit we talk about. Well, hold on. <laughs> well, okay. It's not. So. I go crazy. Anyhow, thank you for the message, Billy. I hope that you will give us another chance. And uh, <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. But um, uh, moving on, we have a lot of listener mail here. We have our five questions in 30 seconds. Um. I got to say, I hope that people use our new voicemail to send us some letters because this is going to oh, be I think, so I think much fun. Be so <laughs> I'm kind of bummed we couldn't get like 100, 1 800 for hammer. Oh my like God, you're still worried about the area code? <laughs> no, no, I just want it to be like memorable. I've already <laughs> forgotten it. Well, it'll be a link on the website so you can, you can check it out. But I'll go ahead and say it again 828 761 1121. 761 1121. You're on the air with Hammer Factor. <laughs> we, we, we need a jingle of some sort. Uh, okay. Let's rush with our uh, theme song. I'm awesome about it. I think he's waiting for inspiration to strike. I do believe that he's actually going to do it at some date. Okay. Whether we will have abandoned the podcast by then is TBD. <laughs> we do the five questions in 30 seconds because I think it's my turn to ask you, John Grace, the questions. <clears throat> okay. I'm ready. All right. Ready? Okay, take a deep breath. <clears throat> Let's get started. Uh, Jay Lynn asks, lap bags, do you clip them in or not? Absolutely not. Uh, never clip them in. Not only is it a safety hazard with them clipped in, you may need that dry bag if your kayak floats away. Listen to episode number nine and Aniel's uh, testimony. Okay, that's a no. <laughs> number two, Dominic Clark, who wrote in at 7.15 a.m., why are boaters so cheap? I thought about this, and boaters are not cheap. Um, but I mean, they're going to sp spend two hundred dollars on a spray skirt. But if it's something that they can lose, like a boat or a paddle, and they know they're out there, they know they may take a swim and lose their boat or whatever, they're going to pick the cheapest one. So rather than boaters being cheap, I think boaters are smart. Okay, Trevor from Ottawa writes in: Should Ottawa be considered a top paddling town? No, it's too cold. Okay. Ramon wrote in, and Ramon took about two hours to get to this question, but he eventually got to it. What length and offset is right, and what is the perfect backup paddle? This is going off of no idea of how tall he is or anything, but I think we all know the answer. Yeah. Go ahead. 202, um, somewhere between a 45 and 60 degree, and regardless if, it, if it's your backup paddle or whatnot, they need to match so you don't miss a beat when you uh, pull your brake down. Out. All right. Nick Blake wrote, Nick Blake is from uh, BV, BV's uh, come up a couple times in this podcast so far. He does the distillery there in BV. Uh -huh. Anyway, uh, he wrote a very long email. He didn't know the question, but I did. I sensed it. And here's the question. Does boat or cross matter? Now, this is a really good question. 
And because yes, motocross does matter. Like at the green race, we used to do motocross for a long time and then we had too many racers and too many people spectating so we couldn't do the actual motocross. But motocross, when you have a crowd, is extremely exciting. No one has to rely on the clock. There's somebody who wins it. Yes, motocross matters and it needs to be made more relevant. There you go. Actually, Man. Dominic Clark, who wrote it at 7.15 a.m., he actually answered the question for us. <clears throat> In his email, I don't know if you saw this, but I have the answer here. And he was one who asked, why are boaters so cheap? And here's his answer. He says uh, it's because they spend all their money on dabs, dank nugs, and PBR. <laughs> There's that too. There you go. <laughs> Man, that was exciting. I like being on the receiving end of the five questions in 30 seconds. Right? You get your own little uninterrupted platform. Yeah. Man, Lewis and I were discussing the Ottawa River yesterday as a paddling town, and Lewis made an excellent point about it. Lewis, do you want to remind <laughs> or remind me what the, exactly that was? Oh, I think I said that that anywhere that that ice break is like a definitive event, or where you're able to drive your truck across the river at any point during the season is, is not an A-list kayaking town. <laughs> yeah, oh, poor Ottawa. Poor Trevor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's about to be A-list for the next six months. Yeah, right. I mean, it's well, rat. maybe in 20 years, it'll be A-list. It'll be, you know, like uh, Atlanta climate. You know. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but hold, we have to be careful now. We don't want to go too far with the um, yeah, yeah. politics. Yeah, let's hold back on that. Um, opinions differ on whether that's real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be sensitive in how we discuss these things. I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying a word here. Dabs, dank nugs, and PBR. Got it. <laughs> off. <laughs> um, where do we want to go with the rest of these uh, these these listener mails? Um, let's read Chuck Thornton. Should... Yeah, that's important. You know, Chuck Thornton says, "I'm the president of the Great Falls Foundation. During episode 45, you expressed a collective wish to see more slalom-like race events that are accessible." to a broader pace, uh, base of paddlers. As you may recall from your interview with Jeff Calhoun during episode 33, in addition to the traditional Great Falls Race and Potomac River Festival, we are hosting a new event in 2018, the S-Turn Giant Slalom on May 19th. We are reviving an event that was held annually on the Potomac River in the 80s and 90s. This course will be set by Olympian Ashley Nee, former Hammer Factor um, guest, Olympic, um, an Olympic coach, Sylvan, Sylvan Poberai, Sylvan Poberai on the class three section below Great Falls and designed to challenge elite World Cup slalom, uh, racers, light composite boats and fun for intermediate paddlers in creek boats. More information is available at greatfallsfoundation.org. Nestor hmm. Slalom used to be kind of a big deal. Remember that? I've never heard of it. It was, yeah, it was a it was slalom before, thing. It was like before my day, and I always, but it just barely. And like everybody yeah. would always talk about, like I was like one of those things that like I, it always killed me that I'd missed out on. Yeah. And like it sounded so sweet. And I'm so stoked that these guys are bringing this back. And I also have to commend their dedication to this because if there's a harder section of class three whitewater in the world to hang slalom gates on, I can't think <laughs> of what it would be. It is going to be such. A logistical <laughs> undertaking. It's like there are no trees. It's just well, there are trees, but it's, you're going to be cliffs. 
you're gonna, it's cliffs. Like you're going to be setting like climbing protection and trying to string wires across like a 150 wide yard wide section of river in places. It's like, imagine like, like one of the class three sections in like, like on the Stikine or something and trying to hang gates in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just, I think you're onto something with that. I think I won that race. If I'm not mistaken. At least sure once. I just think it's time. I, I think it's racing's era. And I, I don't know. I think we got another five to 10 years of just like more of these kind of races coming back and just seeing what everybody's doing and where their mental wheelhouses are, are turning. I think if you're, if you're around, you know, within a reasonable distance of DC and you have the opportunity to go to this race, you should definitely go do it. Cause it's going to be sweet. Brian Tooley. You guys want to move on to Brian Tooley's message? We need like a geese alarm for poor Brian. More like a, like a geese alarm. Well, like my disgust. Yeah. yeah. Hang we on, discussed let me, yesterday I, having a new segment that was going to be called Sound the Geese Alarm or something along those lines. <laughs> and we would just read. Brian says, more observations from an old school, old school paddler who's been in a time capsule for the past 20 years. Has everyone forgotten how to tie a rope on a tie a boat on a car? The two most common ways to tie a boat on the car now is right side up, bow forward, and cockpit out when using a stacker. Whatever happened to upside down and backwards and cockpits in to make the boats more aerodynamic? Not only is it quieter, it doesn't screw up the hole on those hot summer days. And please, save the bear claw hand, bear claw hand signal. It makes your IQ <laughs> drop 30 points every time you do it. Go old school with the two-finger wave without removing your hand from the steering wheel. What do you boys think about that? Well, I think we settled the brown claw issue once and for all uh, a few episodes ago with Evan and Fuseli. And the brown claw evidently is still acceptable. So Brian's just simply incorrect about that. Weld, are you familiar with this possibly apocryphal origin story for people tying their boats upside down and backwards on their roof? I don't know. No, okay. So I don't know what he's talking about because he's a Western paddler, and back in the day, West Coast paddlers were a lot like, like these like guys who, who bury guns and stuff in their yard. Just a weird, <laughs> very isolated group of people there that you didn't go have again. a lot of contact with the outside world. So I, I always, think, yeah, you know, slalom racers always put their boats on upside down and backwards, right? And the reason I had heard that people, and it, when I started kayaking, it was cruiser superstition that you always had your boat on facing forwards because you didn't want your boat to get used to going backwards. You wanted it used to going forwards and people would put them on right side up and forwards. And right. apparently that was like a widely held superstition in the eighties. And then John Lugbill, according to this legend showed up at the 89 worlds with his boat on the roof upside down and backwards. And everybody was like, like, Oh my God, he's cursed his boat. How is this going to work? And then he proceeded to win the worlds by like the widest margin ever. And since that day, everybody puts their boat on upside down and backwards. Well, I don't know about solemn boats. I mean, I would say that the correct way to tie a boat on the roof, if you're doing multiple boats, you have a stacker is simple is that you put it up on edge cockpit facing out uh, because that way the boat rests without tipping, falling back over on top of you. You put a cockpit facing in, it's going to roll back out while you're trying to load other boats. But if you put a cockpit out, it stays there. And you just stack the boats, all of them cockpit facing out. And you can flip them back and forth, you know, to make room for the bow and stern and whatnot. Uh, and if you have to, you can mate them cockpit to cockpit if you if you have really short racks. But it's a pain in the ass because someone has to stand there with a the boat that's cockpit in and hold it while you put the ropes on. But you can't... You can't That's really, the end of, end of discussion. You can't really even put your 
like cockpit in, cockpit in on stackers because the boats now have too much rocker. Like the tips are right. getting, you know, just that's right. That's right. Just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I got to uh, I'm going to sound off on the, uh, um, uh, brown bear or what's he called it? <laughs> <laughs> what's Brian? Bear claw. No, he, yeah, right. the, I mean, that's, that's, the geezer, that's the geezer alarm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> brown bear. <laughs> So You're like them kids are throwing the bear claws. When you guys, <laughs> when you guys see people throwing the brown bear, are you ever like, just Google Lady Gaga little monsters symbol? That's just, for some reason I just can't think of Lady Gaga when I see people doing the brown claw. But anyway, uh, thanks for that message, Brian. Um, let's see, Rahul. <laughs> Oh, hey, Lewis and Johns. This is Rahul, whole longtime listener. Um, Hammer Factor is my main source for getting kayaking outdoor policy related info. Love the rants and rave. Mark's Hunt's letter was incredible, by the way. Thanks for sharing that. Listening to the podcast on the way to the river really fires me up. I enjoy Lewis's segment on the outdoors. It's a great uh, way for me to stay plugged in and get the right amount of info from a credible source instead of getting distracted by clickbait articles on Facebook. Also laughed my ass off when Lewis made fun of the paddling crews. I thoroughly enjoy one ray John Weld derailing the uh, conversations and making everyone laugh makes the podcast more fun. And lastly, John Grace ensuring everyone stays on topic, but realizing that they have gone over their allotted time. When I wrote you last time, you gave me some uh, great suggestions. Grayson Geltman, I've been running my local rivers at higher levels and got myself a party brap. Running those rivers at higher flows has definitely been fun and challenging. Um, still getting used to the party brap. Point number one, I was hoping you all could talk about the stikin, the preparation, mental and physical preparation, the one-day descent, your experiences in the canyon. Since I'm a new kayaker, kayaker I won't be paddling the stikin anytime soon, so until I do would like to live vicariously through you guys and learn more about the place because everything about it just blows my mind. Wanted to get some info, and point number two, wanted to get some info regarding Lewis's return to paddling. I tore my labrum and went through surgery, and now I'm back on the river. I've noticed how I get tired more quickly on the river and how things that were easier before have become more challenging. I was wondering if Lewis could share how he returned to the river after messing up his shoulder and what's he doing to keep the shoulder safe and strong? This is so on time. Keep up the great work. Look forward to hearing from you guys. I'm going to throw this to Lewis. Lewis, you're recently back on the river. Should we do the second one first and you can talk about the stikine? Well, I, I mean, I think I, I think with the stikine, if you have to ask how to prepare for the stikine, you'll never know how to prepare for the stikine. But wait, I do have some good advice to prepare for the stikine, but go ahead, Lewis. On, on the shoulder thing? Yes. Um man, just keep doing the PT. Like, I, I mean, my advice for anybody with shoulder problems is go see like the absolute best surgeon you can see and go see the absolute best PT you can see. Like, don't go see the generalist who, you know, your dad's tennis buddy recommended. Go see the guy who's in a major city, guy or girl who's in a major city who, does nothing but shoulder surgeries on athletes and like go see that person and get that person's advice. And the same thing for, for PT, you know, like so many PTs I think are mostly focused on, you know, rehabbing people from like workplace injuries or, you know, working with old people. And like, you want to find somebody who works with athletes, understands your sport and, you know, is ready to work with you seriously about, you know, getting healthy again. Um, I mean, I guess that's my first piece of advice. The second is just to keep doing all those rotator cuff exercises and 
go to the gym. Like for me, like I hate lifting weights. I hate going to the gym, but I know I have to do that in order to feel the way I want to feel in the boat. And I got to call, I got to call BS on you. We drove by, you and I drove by your gym in white salmon, not a week ago. And you said you'd never been inside that building. <laughs> I go to the, I live in hood river. I go to the hood river gym. We have, we have multiple gyms out here. It may shock you to learn. Do you do okay. do you do military presses? <laughs> per the advice of official orthopedic surgeon of the Hammer Factory, Front Weasel, I do not do military presses. <laughs> Personally, I'm a big fan of military presses. That's all. That's all Grace does. <laughs> military and squats. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Also, like you know, for I don't know, for coming back last shoulder surgery for me it's like you just kind of progress like i started paddling flat water every day and i did that for a while then i went to our class two run and did that every day for a while and then i went to the class three run and did that every day for probably three weeks and just you know doing a bunch of imaginary upstreams and paddling hard and, and my brap and then you know i've just been back out on our normal backyard run here just doing doing dawn patrols every day and just trying to trying to get strong here again and feeling pretty good man I'm, I'm pretty fired up i think there's a great piece of advice to take away from that is like the incremental changes that lewis is doing he's sticking with it day after day on easier things and you make little bitty changes and before you know it you're up to where you can confidently run class five at what were you out there the other day at four and a half feet or something yeah yeah so I think I th- my takeaway from what Lewis just said is it's okay to start at the bottom, but just keep doing it day after day after day and you'll build yourself up. Yeah. And just like, I, to me, I think just making a point of getting volume is, is helpful. Like, you know, like if you live somewhere where you can't paddle whitewater every day, like try to paddle flat water as close to every day as you can and just, you know, build strength. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the stikine, I have one bit of advice for anybody who wants to go paddle the stikine. And Lewis, you can quit your, quit your job. <laughs> you have got get to advice. get divorced, one, leave your family. One thing about the stikine versus a lot of other rivers is three or four times a day, you're going to paddle into the meat of something, and that is the line. You know, there's a lot of rivers that you can go to, and even if it's the big rapid, you can clean it. You know what I mean? Like you can keep your bow dry if you just really stick it and whatever. But every day, at least three or four times on the stikine, the line is, all right, you just got to plug into that and be ready to deal with it. So biggest thing is if you want to get ready for the stikine or a river, you know, the stikine in particular, just be ready to paddle into some big holes do some cartwheeling and some surface surfing and roll up on the other side. So get your shoulders strong. <laughs> get your shoulders strong. Do, do practice rolls and then go run fear Canyon on the Elaho at like two or 300 Humex and see how that sits with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, great listener mail there from Rahul. Um, ah, my boy, John K. All right. So this the whole weed conversation was a bit of a sleeper. It took a bit, like, and maybe this is typical for weed conversations, but it didn't really. <laughs> we're continuing. Really, we're continuing on this. Through. This is the same trend from last time. Maybe it's typical for you guys. You know, 
Jesus. No John Kessler. You're speaking to that. I'm just <laughs> saying. We're going to get like, like 20 emails in like six weeks about this. <laughs> like two weeks later, people were like, what? What? I had a, I had a friend of mine from Colorado, uh, a woman named Julie, call me. And she was halfway through the podcast. And I'm not going to say she was hysterical, but she was really worked up and I was encouraging her to write in, but she never did. Um, but Julie, if you're listening, we're still waiting to hear from you on this issue. She had a lot of points to make about it. What, 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 what was her point? I'll be honest. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> she was just fired up. That's kind of how I she am most days. Um, Jonathan Kessler says, Hey guys, apologies for the uh, previous drunken post, which I'm not going to read that one. Um, I wanted to chime in on the conversation with Dave about weed and whitewater. Uh, I'm like Dave. I will not partake if I'm nervous or scared. So using cannabis on your home run with shining sun is just magnificent. I also thought about the point of being a bit high and stumbling across the rescue situation. This is where I think booze and weed deviate. If I'm buzzed on booze and come across a rescue situation, my reaction time and decision making is inhibited. If I'm cruising high and come across the same situation, my high goes away, in quotes, um, immediately. H- H-G-I-H. <laughs> I'm focused and thinking clearly. Don't listen to him, John K. Um, I know Weld and Geltman may disagree, but I would rather paddle with stone competent boater than a buzz guy who prides himself on not swimming. <clears throat> I think if I had a couple of beers and I came on a rescue situation, I'd be filled with heroic confidence and would, would do something. <laughs> you're saying your high would go away immediately? <laughs> Hater's going to hate. Hater's going to hate. Grace, give us some give, give us some perspective on this. Don't Help listen to him, John. Is this is this a, is this a true sentiment here? I, you know, I mean, I think he's got good points there. Perfect. You know, I was telling you a story about my friend who went paddling with you and 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 uh, Daniel and the rest of the crew. You know, my buddy who was down there with you guys, and uh, he called me after the show and reminded me that the punchline of the story was that you guys were were smoking an awful lot before every river. And he was thinking, if there's ever a point at which you guys had stopped, that's where he would not put on that river. <laughs> He'd be like, that is some serious shit that I'm not going to do. Let's put it on the flip side here. I mean, you know, it's a good litmus test. I mean, he's, you know, Chase is a smart guy. Um, let's on the flip side here. Tom Janney. Um, hey, fellas, I really appreciate the show. Lewis's info is great, as is all the banter and interviews, etc. I'd like to comment on some points from the weed and kayaking episode, mainly disagreeing with comments from Fusilli and Grace. I'm all good with people partaking, but prefer to boat with paddlers that don't praise job before paddling, mainly for safety reasons. I'll quote the CDC. Marijuana can slow your reaction time and ability to make decisions. And it's backed up by a link here. If that doesn't sound like a scientifically sound reason, <clears throat> you might sup with Zinke. If we are going to call out people for not wearing life jackets, let's call people out for getting high before paddling or before driving to the put-in for that matter. No matter their stature within the boating community or how common the practice. Two other comments. You guys need to reach out to Team Beer for some stories. I believe they communicate via carrier pigeons and smoke signals. Geltman needs to go back to the Middle Kings. I know he is worried about going five days without some Hooters meetings, but damn, that run is good. Thanks again, boys, and hope to see you on the river. Well, I think that's a good email. CDC, huh? This is the same people that they probably tell you, like, 
not to eat lead paint and stuff like that. It's probably just big pharma propaganda, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks here for we the are e- taking si- here we are taking sides in this conversation that really, truthfully, we don't have a true side on. Well, my side is thanks for the email, Tom. Me and Tom don't paddle together much. Oh. <laughs> I've had some great paddling trips with Tom. You know this guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. dude. Tom's, Tom's rat. Tom's hilarious. He's one of my favorite. Go on paddling trips with, actually. You know, the thing, you know what the thing is, though, is we keep joking about paddling crews, but, man, it's awesome to find your crew. You know what I mean? And the people who are going to paddle the same mindset and the same sense of purpose that you are, whatever that may be. You know? Oh, yeah. It's so confidence-inspiring. You know, when you get with that group and everybody's on the same page, everybody's looking out for everybody, it like, that's really where the great things happen. So, Tide Pod Bandits, don't... <laughs> keep don't, on keeping uh, on, boys. Yeah, keep on keeping <laughs> on. All right, thank you. Um, did we read this Morgan Tate um, email? Should we just a good email. We should read that. Yeah, Morgan Tate's a great email, yeah. Okay. Um, Morgan says, um, hey, Hammer Factor. Thanks for kind of saying something. The, the awkward laugh and noting that there are some hardcore hardcore females when Dan Gavir decided to belittle women <laughs> unknowingly or knowingly, I'll be graceful and give him the benefit of the doubt. I hope you find this less as hate mail and more as constructive criticism. I started listening to the podcast because my boyfriend loves whitewater kayaking and listens to y'all. And y'all talk smack about Dim Boys, which my brother was a founding member of, so I had to listen to the episodes with the small blips on that. By the way, he doesn't live in our mom's basement, and he does have a degree. However, to be fair to y'all, he is indeed a ski bum in Colorado. I can neither confirm nor deny the bong comment. I do believe he skipped the type by Christ. <laughs> Uh, this is great. In regards to Gavir, the small things are important and they are noticed. Women deal with BS side comments regularly. It does not make it okay. It's a cultural issue. I wouldn't make those comments about men or children or listen to them for that matter. So I hold the same expectations for how people speak about women. Women are listening, maybe even little girls. Like the previous discussion on talking to kids about weed, it's also important to talk to your kids about being inclusive and supportive. Kayaking is already a masculine culture, particularly in relation to the media that surrounds it, let alone the stats of participants. I was pretty bummed when I started to hear Gavir's talk. I was going to have to turn off the podcast and chalk it up as another space where men feel it appropriate to make misogynistic comments with no, with no recourse. There are a multitude of badass ladies that kayak stout water or generally live badass lives. I'm blessed to know them and I'm thankful for every time they make, <clears throat> they encourage me to get out there. Though I have not yet forced myself to do anything with consistent class three, which should tell you that I do not consider myself a kayaker. I think it's important to highlight women in the sport, particularly because I think it encourages more women to enter the sport. I also think it is important to call out even small forms of profession. Y'all talk about the NRA, the environment, business, etc. I know you have highlighted the issues of patriarchy in the Olympics, and I think this discussion is just ongoing. Your podcast consistently talks about numbers, and y'all compare kayaking to other outdoor sports, and no one is quite sure why whitewater kayaking has not grown more or why boat companies have a hard time making it, beyond the fact that there are just not as many participants and cost is a factor. I think making women more visible in whitewater kayaking media would greatly help the sport and outdoor culture. 
women do make up half the planet and their participation and inclusion, in my hum humble opinion, would only help the sport. Sincerely, Morgan Tate. First of all, big thanks to Morgan for writing that in. That is a super bomber email, and I'm going to throw that over to you guys. Um, Lewis, do you want to kind of give a little backstory on the comment that Dan made? Yeah, yeah I, I, was, mean, I wasn't here for that, so I couldn't comment on that part of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Lewis and I thanks, take thanks this. clarifying that well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I couldn't – she's 100% right about all of that. Um, Dan made a comment last week, something about, I mean, I don't need to repeat it, but it was not an appropriate comment. And I sort of awkwardly half said something and I wish I had been a little bit more forceful in that. It's a little, it's awkward when it happens because, you know, like we don't want to be uh, confrontational with our guests. Dan is a good dude and a, you know, a good friend of ours. And um, but what he said was, was out of line and what did he say? It was just like a, he said something about women preferring stop to kayaking because they're not going to flip over and hit their pretty faces or something like that. It was just like, it was not appropriate. And was I was saying it's a sincere comment is remaking a uh, bad joke. I think it was a bad joke, but it was, it was definitely a bad joke. I, I cringed a little bit when he said it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to, it's hard to like, even now it's hard to, to you know, it's like we don't want to talk about it like behind Dan's back or without giving him an opportunity to defend himself, but it's it's hard to know what the appropriate way to navigate that is, and we probably didn't do as good of a job as we could have, and you know, all of Morgan's points, to my mind, are, are spot on. Well, I, I mean, I know I said this before, but I'll point it out again. I cannot count how many times I've, Karen, I've gone to a kayaking event or been someplace with other kayakers and I've been introduced as the owner of IR and Kara as my wife, right? That's just assumed. That's an assumed situation, an assumed arrangement, which of course is simply not the case. And Kara takes it with a level of dignity. I mean, she's not going to make stink out of it, but I know it's a shit sandwich. Yeah. Well, if anybody really knew the case there, they wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. That's, you, you got that right. Buddy. Um, Anyway, well said, Morgan. Thanks for the email. And I honestly, I really think it was off-color humor on Dan's part. Um, yeah, agreed. Um, but I could, I could say why kayaking isn't growing. It's because it's fucking petrifying. That's why. <laughs> I mean, most people look at kayaks and like that's a that's a coffin. That's so a, that's a plastic. That's a roto-molded coffin right there. That thing. So let's. Let's let, let, let's let's not get into the sport and numbers. Although we did find out last year that there are uh, about two hundred and fifty thousand SUP boards sold in the U.S. every year. I want to know how many are sitting in garages with cans of paint on them. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. It's like it's like there's like laundry stacked up on on two hundred twenty five thousand of them. I'm just saying. A few episodes ago, we heard that there were fifteen thousand to twenty thousand whitewater boats sold in the U.S. and there were a quarter of a million SUP boards. That's why I have I have numbers I, from the lower yacht. By the way, I can't get Eric to come on. He's a busy man, Eric Martin from Women's Voyagers. But I do have the lower yacht stats. If 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 we want to hear them at some point. Well, let me go into let me go into a brief here let's, on the Hydra. Are yeah, we let's do, save the lower yacht for another day because I want okay. to talk about that for longer. Where, where, right. where are we at on time here? I think we can probably get it. Oh, we're, we're already 50 half minutes. an hour after we said we'd call Nicole. Okay. Um, 
All right, I got to cut Tim's email short here on the Hydra. He has a lot of good points about the Hydra. If you don't know about the uh, the Hydra, and I know about I know about Hydra is the company. I do know about Hydra. Hydra was my first plastic boat I ever paddled. It was a Hydra Mustang. It had uh, Don McLaren's signature molded into the deck in white letters. My boat was purple. On the bottom, it said in gigantic letters. This is on the bottom of the boat, molded into it. Hydra. The spirit of white water, right? When I did a pop up in that thing, badass, my friend. <laughs> badass. You saw the spirit of white water torpedoing out of the out of the water in a like a like an orca whale. Well, it was gorgeous. I first started kayaking. I don't know if it was the very first boat I sat in, but it was definitely my first favorite boat on the lake at Valley Mill. Grace was an orange Hydra Taurus. Valley Mill. <laughs> Yeah, and those had those had an overwhelming urine smell to them. I don't even remember how to not from like <laughs> countless countless campers on hot summer days urinating into them. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Hydra was the only company to make a plastic whitewater C2 the duet. That's yeah. Legit. I did a backflip off of off of one of those in the in the lake at Valley Mill and broke my nose there. Valley Mill. That's legit as can be. <laughs> Um, they were the first kayak companies to use linear polyethylene plastic. They called it a tough light, um, mm-hmm. while everyone else was using Crosslink. Um, man, this is a great review. And I mean, I could go into all of this detail, but this is really good. And the boat was 11 feet, 10 inches long. It only weighed 35 pounds. It's going to be interesting where this sets up in the scale of the other boats, but, uh, I mean, it looks. I mean, it doesn't look exactly like like a stinger or one of these boats, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, you know. I mean, just looking at it from a distance. Yeah. So check out the show notes on that one, and we'll have our uh, old school um, boat catalog ready to go sooner than later. But Tim Kennedy's the man. I gotta tell you, these reviews are so good. Um, they're they're so amazing, and there's <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a new uh, star rating system. And even a, a target price range for what you should exactly. Be, exactly be prepared to spend. I think he set the range on the Hydra Dragonfly at sixty dollars. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, man. This just shows. I mean, we're we're making fun of other people for being like old fogies or whatever. <laughs> like this is right, like, dude. <laughs> sound the geese alarm, man. Uh, yes. about the, the Hydra Mustang. I mean, my God. <laughs> This is why you turn to the to the hammer factors that we have you covered from Hydra Mustang to <laughs> longevity right here. Hey, somehow we can move from the Long Creek Gangsters to the Brown Claw to the Hydra Mustang. I don't know how we're pulling it off, but somehow we're doing it. Finally, let's get a uh, let's do our last uh, listener mail here. Um, this comes out of from Ben Kinsella. Um, the subject matter of the email was getting back on the horse. Man, this is a powerful email from Ben. I don't know. Lewis, do you want to take this? Yeah, Lewis, give us a little introduction to Ben because he's, you know, he's, not a, he's no hack, you know. Yeah, Ben Kinsella um, recently moved to the Gorge. He's from Bozeman, had been living up in, uh, in Index, Washington or thereabouts and working for Werner until recently. But him and Sam Grafton were really uh, wingmen in paddling. We've talked about Sam a few times in the last few weeks. He passed up in Washington 
a couple months ago now. And Sam and Ben, I mean, if you guys, if you guys aren't familiar with their body of work, those guys were doing some of the most next level big water paddling that's ever been done in the last, you know, couple of years and running whitewater, like, you know, high water, tum water that will just, you know, make your hair stand up to even look at it. So, I mean, I, I don't know what to say by way of introduction more than that, just that him and him and Sam were, were great friends. And both of those guys were just truly were are truly next level big water paddlers and really pushing the sport in a big way. So I'm going to read in, read this email that, that Ben sent in to us. <clears throat> ben says, Hey fellas, I'm, e- I'm emailing in regards to episode 45, whitewater risk and dealing with misfortune. I appreciate what Mr. Anonymous had to say about how our community reacts to incidents on the water, but I agree with Lewis about AW's accident reports. In the past, this invaluable service made our community more aware of the gravity of such things as foot entrapments, which is now drilled in most swiftwater rescue courses. Although I think Facebook is the devil prior to the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, it certainly serves as a forum for us to discuss sensitive issues with our peers and hopefully gain insight that can be retaught or implemented. With that said, I will address my true reason for writing in, the fact that I'm still hurting. I'm hurting because I lost one of my best friends to the river. The majority of the hardest stuff I've run in recent years was with him. He was the inspiration to actualize my potential on the water and did so without ever using peer pressure, but merely a coy smile and word of encouragement. Together, we descended some of the steepest and highest volume rapids in the Pacific Northwest. Through the fray and tumult, I saw what a dedicated man he was, what our friendship meant to me, and what it feels like to have my eyelids peeled back over my helmet. In our adventures, I found a fulfillment that I've scarcely felt in any other aspect of my life. Since losing Sam, I've struggled to find that same joy and passion for the sport that we shared. Getting back on challenging whitewater has been exceptionally hard. I find my heart racing, pulsing in my ears whilst running rapids that I used to ear dip and paddle spin through. If this is what we shared and love so much together, why can I not bring myself to enjoy it anymore? I cannot speak to the stages of mourning and how this fits in with coping with loss, but I would like to share with our community my strategy I've been employing to get back in my boat and most importantly, have fun. The ethos of this method is best established with the concept of beginner's mind. Thanks, Doug Ammons. To establish a beginner's mind is to look at something you've done thousands of times with a new lens, that of a novice. For me, this is manifested in paddling easier things, yes, but moreover by honing in on the small things that I find most pleasing about kayaking. Squirting an eddy line, gliding into the current, or noticing the geology and landscape surrounding the water. Through these means, I've been able to slowly work back into a state of enjoyment on the rivers Sam and I loved. I'm not yet back to where I was before his accident. However, this technique has allowed me to refocus, re-energize, and remember the core of what makes this sport so magical. Taking notice of the little things is helping me to grapple with the crippling grief of the question, why? Why do we do this? Why did the accident happen? Why can't I find the flow I once had? Maybe this method can help someone else out there dealing with some of these same questions. Loss is a part of life. Dealing with that with that loss is something that is done individually, but also as a community. I hope all of the listeners of the hammer factor and beyond know that we're bigger than just the half dozen people we see it at the takeout every weekend, but a global network of like-minded enthusiasts. I know many of us are struggling with losses from the Pacific Northwest, the Southeast and abroad. I share in your grief 
and think of you and the ones not with us every time I paddle. Keep paddling, keep exploring, and keep your paddling and partners, paddling partners and loved ones close. Sincerely, Ben Kinsella. I mean, we have talked about this email a good bit on the backside of you know how to address it and what to say about it, but I don't know. What do you, what do you what do you guys what what do you guys think about this? Stands on its own, you know. It's it's incredibly hard when you lose your friends and you know sometimes it takes a really long time to want to do that you know to kind of dive into those risks again and you know maybe some people don't want to at all eventually but it's i think just taking it as it comes is it's the way to go you know i think uh i i think i'd love to have ben on the show to ask him to talk about this in person just because there's, I think there's some points that I'd love, I'd, some things I'd love to ask about, it, but I don't think are fair to ask unless he's here to discuss them, you know, because I would, I don't make any assumptions here, but I mean, you can't escape. The one thing you can't escape is these guys were running really, really hard white water. I mean, big stuff, you know. Oh, um, next level, no doubt. Um, and, you know, I early, early on in the show, I remember discussing my, my weird theory of risk for most people. And, you know, I've always felt like most people go through life at like a 99.999% level of, of safety. Like they make their decisions based that there's like a one in 100,000 or more or smaller chance that, that they'll have a problem. We will start approaching like 99.9% level of risk, you know, of, of something terribly happening. That's, you start getting into crazyville, you know. Um, I mean, things getting, I mean, we were talking about a one in a thousand chance of dying if you try something. That's really a huge gigantic risk you know um and where do you i mean start running this big white water where do you cross the line into that you know is that something ben is that what he's talking about getting back into is that really what he wants to do um i mean how does he feel about that you know i mean do you think i'm and but that's something i have to have ben discuss you, you know before we even made past any kind of judgment or anything on that whatsoever man those ebbs and flows and the way it all changes I don't know. That's a hard, that's a, that's, that's tough. And, uh, my hat's off to Ben for writing that in and, and 100% without a doubt, Ben will find his stoke again as, as will all of us when that kind of thing happens. But man, what an email guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's some serious stuff. Should we move to our celebrity guest, Nicole Mansfield? Yeah, let's do it. We're only 45 minutes late, an hour late. God, we're so late. Um, okay. Real quick before we get Nicole on, did you guys realize that the Dim Boys are now officially going by the uh, TPB? I did see that in the New York Times news feed a couple days ago. <laughs> I didn't read the full article, but I did see that. <laughs> so, so, Lewis, you can feel like... <laughs> I went back and listened to that episode, and you, John Grace, are the one who coined Tide Pod Bandits. I did? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm looking for... I I can never come up with something that clever. (laughs) Nicole, are you there? I am. All hey, right. Nicole Mansfield, right. welcome to the Hammer Factor. You are on with John Grace, John Weld, and Lewis Geltman. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Um, We're good. 
Thanks for waiting for us. We're like an hour late, something like that. We got. Yeah, I'm wondering what you guys have been jabbering about, but uh, I'm sure I'll Most, find out here soon enough. Mostly the Tide Pod <laughs> bandits. <laughs> an hour of that. Have you ever heard? Of, have you ever heard of the Tide Pod bandits, Nicole? The Tide Pod bandits. Yeah. Uh, I don't reckon so. Okay. <laughs> Nicole, where are you right now? Um, I'm in Victor, Idaho, in Parker's house. Nice. Yeah. Um, ski session this morning. Nice. Um, I feel like we need to give Nicole an introduction. And I don't even know where to begin. I feel like Nicole should need no introduction because Nicole is a legend. Um, I don't know. What so you guys? Trip. What's the trip you, she just did? Nicole, just stand by. We're going to talk about you for a few minutes, all right? All right. Yeah. We want to hear... We want, we want to hear about this Middle Fork Salmon float uh, ski trip. I saw, saw a couple of pictures going around and it looks unbelievably sick. Tell us about what you did out there. H- hang on a second, Nicole. Before we get into this, Nicole, can, you, hang on, Nicole. can you introduce yourself? <laughs> just, tell us, just tell us where you're from, a little bit about what you do for a living, and then we'll get into your most recent trip. This is why you should not give me any responsibility for... <laughs> interacting with our guests bring us back nicole tell us a little bit about where you're from how you got into the sport what you do now and then we'll get into your most recent trip up in the frank church wilderness oh damn right on um i'm from buffalo new york um (laughs) went to college out in new hampshire where i learned how to kayak uh p program and then since there have grown into a bit of a uh gypsy dirt bag kayaking ski addict um moved out to colorado um then came out to the pacific northwest so i've been kind of calling home for the last couple five years and uh been doing lots of waitressing job other odd jobs and just recently the uh, last couple of years been working for a world class so so you work for cks you know, for a little bit right yeah at some point there like was that right out of college you went to work for cks yeah, pretty much. I was working at the Gap Outlet in Frisco, hmm. and a kayaking buddy that I just recently met was like, um, "Maybe you guys should go check. Out, you should go check out the Arkansas Valley." And I uh, went paddling there, met Earl and Chad on the river, and uh, pretty much quit the Gap. And <laughs> that's a shame because that was probably a, a career trajectory for you that you maybe should have explored. But I know I was really good at folding shirts. Hmm. <laughs> so you worked at CKS and what years was that? Um, you know, what years was that? What it, year, year, year was that? No. 2005, probably the summer of 2006, 2007 and 2008. And you were just, were you just really starting to get in kayaking in those years? Or were you like, were you reestablished by then? Um, those were, yeah, I definitely was getting more into kayaking at that point in college um, they have a great outdoor program, but it was always a battle to find people to go kayaking as often as I wanted to go. And then all of a sudden I showed up at the Arkansas Valley and there's play parks everywhere. I could go play boating during my lunch break, river running after work. Um, so I got super addicted to it there just cause it was so accessible and so many rad people to go out there paddling with. And then at some point. Uh, I'm picture. I don't know exactly how this went down, but um, the 
the dem shits van showed up and you got <laughs> on or did you did they abduct you or how did it. that how did that happen um yeah more or less like that uh, dem shits van <laughs> came to town every summer did their normal shenanigans and uh then one year it was posed that i could join them and you were uh, looking at that van you were like yes that is a good decision for me for sure. I was like, yes, sign me up, giddy up. <laughs> so, I need some good influences in my life. Right. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> we'll get back to that. <laughs> okay, but wait. So, I mean, I think history will look back on paddle sports as the Dem Shits van. There'll be, a, there'll be a couple chapters in the history books for the Dem Shits van. I mean, this was the van that Piranha put together of various Piranha paddlers that basically toured the country for the summer months. Is this what you said? This is correct, and you just did kayaking events and kayaked. Is that right? Pretty much um, showed up at a bunch of the events and then put on some like paddle at dem shits things. Right, and then how long? I mean, how many years did you? How many years were you on this dem shits train? Three. Three years. So it's three summers. Yep. You're doing this every summer from like when to when? Um, generally around April through. Right. I feel like Golly Fest was kind of the end end of it but the official end was in july but we usually kind of like hung on to uh the van for a bit and uh did some east coast and golly fast moose fast things like that so who are the cast of characters in the dem shits van um well it was a revolving door for sure um <laughs> some points it was uh i'd say the main cast of characters are dave fusilli jared seiler and graham seiler um, but at any moment in time, there could be at least a dozen other people in that van. <laughs> right. So this goes on for, I mean, I, there, there's a lot of paddlers out there listening to this thinking like, this is probably the most awesome way to spend three summers back to back. And I'm sure there's a lot of good times, but at some point you had to have been like, if I do this again, I'm going to hang myself. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, no, it was super awesome during that time. It exposed me to like. So many new places. I learned so much from those guys. Um, I mean, is that really where you became like a a serious kayaker? I mean, was there like a is that is that when that happened? I think, uh, yeah, for sure. I was definitely pretty serious into playboating before, and then with them, I learned a lot about the boof stroke. Uh, I thought I knew how to boof. Turns out I did definitely did not know how to boof. Um, and kind of found more of what interested me in the sport. And I got more involved with the sport for sure. So what defense mechanisms would, would a gal like you need to, to, for, like to build up in order to deal with living with the Dem Shits crew day after day for months on end? Like what are the important skills? What's the important skill set there? Um, snacks. Plenty of snacks. Right. Because they're not stopping uh, for any reason? No. I don't know how many times I'd be like, so we did, didn't do breakfast, we didn't do lunch. Uh, what do you guys think about dinner? They'd be right. like, grab yourself a beer. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, I want something else for dinner. I'm like, well, we got steak shakes in the back. <laughs> Protein powder uh, with water. Um, so if you want to chew anything? Or was like, granted, this you know, isn't all the time, but uh, recommendations. Um, also not, you know, not taking things too seriously. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, 
filter. So, so I don't want to spend, I could spend forever talking about the Demshitz van because I don't know, I find it to be interesting, but, uh, could you quickly describe like a particular, like low point and then a particular high point, like where during these travels are you just like, this is, has gone too far. And at what point were you like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me? Um, particular low point. Uh, there was the, there's a conversation about sharks versus bears. Uh, <laughs> and I think maybe the, probably about the fifth dozen time that we entered that conversation <laughs> about who would win in a battle. Uh, this is an earnest it, discussion, like an earnest yeah. thought out <laughs> argument. Oh, very. It originated because Jared's pillowcase had bears on it. Right. And Graham's pillowcase had sharks on it. Right. Um, <laughs> and oh yeah, this is super serious. We go into details and for hours on this. And at some point, man, I don't know if I can really handle this conversation anymore. Um, I mean, I remember, I remember you, like, I'd be like at an event somewhere like a WV or something. And I'd see the van roll up and you guys would tumble out of there and, I gotta, I gotta admit, you guys look. I mean, you, you look pretty dazed. You look kind of like <laughs> a little stunned. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it was an adventure. Yeah. All right. So, what's a high point? Like, what? Like, what was a high point of this? Wait, wait, scenario? wait! You're not getting off that easy. The the low point couldn't be the battle between the pillowcases. That- <laughs> no, I think it's a symbol of a mentality that can be a little grinding. Oh, that is hilarious! There's our next T-shirt. <laughs> oh, for sure. Sharks versus bears. I don't know. Um, you know, there's probably, I can't think of anything particular, but there's probably some moment where I found myself a bit in over my head as well. That might have been a low point where I'm like, how did I get here? Was how there ever I- a moment when you just like, I don't know, something happened, you swam, you lost your boat, you're hiking through the BC hell fuck, and all of a sudden you're like, what the hell? is like, Bring us to that moment, like that moment of just like, you're just like, am I going to see my parents again? <laughs> That's how my uh, kayaking trips go anyway. <laughs> I feel like I have a bunch of those in my life. I'm trying to think of one in particular with them and um, failing at the moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was one pre Demshits where I was paddling with all the same cast of characters. It was my first time ever in California. We ran out of gas twice on the way there. Um, first run, summit run. Uh, people probably know that. And one of the second rapids, I like peed on my boat, break the foot block, not the end of the day, get worked in a hole. Um, they decide that maybe I shouldn't be paddling the rest of it. Or maybe I decided that I don't know. And uh, drove back to Colorado um from from tahoe yeah <laughs> so i drove out there with connor finney otherwise known as ball dem shits oh <laughs> or wizard ball i've also heard yeah. <laughs> mad at many names um but yeah i don't know there's lots of yeah I mean, I feel like, I mean, for this is an outsider's perspective, but, you know, one that's in the industry, you know, I feel like you emerged from those dem shit days as like a real paddler, like a, a paddler of note. You know what I mean? It was sort of your trial by fire, uh, you know, and, and, and that's when we started thinking we should, we need, we need more female paddlers and you hit radar as a definitely a sponsorable paddler. 
Um, so I don't know if that if that's true or not. That's how you feel about it, but that's how we saw it at least. Um, right on. But, I learned a lot from them. They dealt with a lot of my uh, learn. Like for me, I took the boost. Like in my head, I thought that you had to boost regardless of when the rock was next to your hip. Like those were my rules. Right. Uh, I don't know. That's, co- that's the Colorado in you that needed to be purged. <sighs> it's so hard to it's so hard to purge people of that. Yeah. Right. <sighs> New Hampshire too. Same same. Um, yeah, I don't know how many times like something would happen and Dave would be like, "Did you spot your landing?" I'd be like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> and like, um, I think I started to get it maybe once on like forty nine to Bridgeport, um, where he was like. You got to fall, Jared. Be like right on his butt. And if you take a stroke before he does, you've already messed it up. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> she, like, it was a great sloper move and I actually skimmed out at the bottom and uh, learned a lot from them. What about your high point? What about the moment when you were like, what, what, that felt really good? Um, man, just the epic road trips. Um, high point, um, getting to the North Fork, getting to run that, uh, get it, seeing the little white and having the Beaver boys take us down, um, coming back to the summit run and being able to go back and run it all. Um, nice, nice. That, that always felt good to me when I got humbled somewhere and I went back and it didn't seem so gnarly. Right. Oh. So after after the Demsheds van, is that where you sort of ended up in the Pacific Northwest? Is that the transition there, or was there anything in between? Um, yeah. After touring around with them, I realized I was more interested in river running and that aspect of the sport. And um, even though we got glimpses of it um, throughout the tour, I just wanted more of it. And I wanted, um, yeah, just to get better at river running and it just seemed like the pnw was a great place to start um uh just the fact that you can kayak all the time there and i wanted um rather than to get to run the little white once a year and have no idea where i was going um i wanted it to be the backyard run so but you i mean you're making a decision at this point to basically become a full-time kayaker or as much as you can possibly be right yeah full-time kayaker i mean still had to work but yes for sure because before i would um spend winters um working at a ski resort and then summers doing the piranha thing and then always having to like shake off the rust and be like oh man i wish i got to paddle something other than something super stout right off the bat so um yeah it was a conscious decision just to be able to paddle more yeah all right and then at some point, you got. I mean, I know, at some point, you got sponsored by NRS, right? Mm-hmm. What year was that? I'm trying to think. Uh, I, know, I know this because we tried to we tried to rope you into sponsorship, but then NRS offered you the unicorn deal that we could not touch. Unicorn deal. I should point out basically. I think I think NRS sponsors everybody at this point. I mean, if you have an Eskimo role, I think they'll give you a sponsorship. So if you guys out there listening need. Interesting. Are you, are you just going to take that, Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> they won't. They won't sponsor they me. They should have sponsored Nicole. They were exactly right in sponsoring that. And uh, and uh, if she had not taken a sponsorship and gone with IR, I would have. I would have. 
fired her from the team and made her go to NRS. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Um, uh, when I was working at CKS, uh, Chad Neural just um, definitely hooked me up with, I just got to know a bunch of people from the industry. Gator uh, was one of the guys that would every year for Paddlefest. So even though hasn't, I don't really know when officially started paddling for NRS, but. Um, to be clear, I'm listening back. I'm thinking about what I just said. I'm not in any way knocking Nicole's paddling skills. I'm mentioning, I'm commenting on the fact that NRS's team is gigantic. And I have no idea how they can afford to do it. That's my own personal beef. Sorry, Nicole. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Working on correcting our inappropriate comments. And right. <laughs> like more like real now. time rather than waiting for yeah. like 50,000 angry listeners to write in. Right. I um, noticed you guys' uh, rewind at the last episode. That was well played, Lewis. Oh. <laughs> I'm just flattered you're listening. About that. <laughs> All right. So. I'm, I'm trying to piece together the life of someone who's who kayaks more. You, who, I mean, I'd call you a career kayaker. Would I mean? Wouldn't you say that's the case? I mean, as much as anyone else is. Um, I sure do it a lot. Yeah, I mean, every time. I mean, every time we try to find you to do the show, you're somewhere paddling. Um. Yep, that's true. Um. Yeah, I'm sure addicted to it. Um. Whether or not it's a career. Um, I don't know. It's definitely a passion of mine. Yeah. So you're in the Pacific Pacific Northwest. NRS hooks you up. And then basically this allows you to, I think, you expand your paddling. I mean, you start start traveling a lot somewhere in there. I mean, going to all the the far corners of the earth. Yeah, that's... um, As I was back in the day in the van, as we were, like, traveling all over that, all I... um, after we were done with that, all I really wanted to do is a bunch of international trips. So um, it's been pretty, I feel pretty lucky that I have been able to accomplish that. Um, moving to the gorge, I was lucky to find a restaurant job. So um, and they let me come in every night, which is perfect. You can go paddling all day, go work at night. And um, as long as... I'd save up my money and then uh, hope that I got my job back when I returned. So far, so good. And so you have a crew of paddlers out there. Like, who are you paddling with most most likely when, uh, you're, when you're home? Well, to tell you the truth, uh, I haven't really been there in like two years so much. <laughs> um, right. Uh, I saw my P.O. box there and my truck's often parked there. But um, it's definitely a revolving crew for sure there's always so many people coming in um there's a great uh so many great posses of people out there it's really hard to say you know who the official crew is but i'm always pretty stoked when i get to go out there paddling with bdp or uh when some of the good girlfriends come to town or um i know like joe kemper and jordan slaughter are always out there ready to rally so I mean, I feel like there's a pretty robust women's paddling scene out that way. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's awesome. I mean, more so than any. I mean, in terms of the 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 the, the difficulty of the whitewater being run, I I don't know if there's a, a more stout women's paddling scene anywhere in the country. Would you, Geltman? Would you say that's true or Nicole? Um, would you say Lewis? It seems plausible to me. I feel like I can't really speak to 
the southeast this much, but there's definitely a sick scene of women toddlers out here. And I think what seems really remarkable and cool to me about it is just how I don't know. It's just like everybody seems really uh, supportive of one another, and like there's always like you know there's a bunch of women running a little bit, and there's a bunch of women running the lower, and there's a ton of cross pollination between those groups, and everybody's supporting each other and stoked. It seems to be and. Yeah, Lewis, you hit it spot on. So at some point in this, you take a job with World Class Academy, which I guess in some ways is like an institutionalized Demshitz. I mean, you're back in the van. True. <laughs> Shark versus Sorry, <laughs> now you're in a leadership role. <laughs> right, now you're getting a legitimate paycheck. Um, Ish. Right. So, so. <laughs> Take, explain what world class is. You know, I think most people are probably familiar that it's a a school of some sort. Yeah. But how does it work? I mean, who goes to this? How long does it last? What's what's the program? And what did you and do how, there? And how did you get involved? And what do you do with them? Oh man! All right, um, go. Uh, we'll start with uh, I got involved with them two years ago. So I've mm-hmm. always crossed paths with them, um, whether it was out in Lachine. Or I don't even know where else I've seen the school, but like all over the map. And I always thought that it was pretty awesome road tripping about, doing your school, going kayaking. Um, and then finally, uh, um, I was like, all right, well, let's see if they'll hire me. I think I'm, I'm mature enough. <laughs> Unclear whether or not that's the case. But um, on the surface, yeah, it's a ki- whitewater kayaking high school. Um, so now, do kids go there? I mean, it's a high school, so it's ninth through twelfth grade. And yeah. can you? I mean, can you do, spend all four years of, of your high school for time sure in, in that program? Yeah, definitely. But there's like a mix. There's kids who go there for like one to three years, and there's kids who, who go there for their like token semester that they're super mm-hmm. fired up about. Um, and it's pretty cool. Last year, there was a big contingent of kids from the West Coast and all over the world. And then this year, we have a lot of kids from the Southeast and um, still a bunch of like European and South American paddlers. And um, it's really cool because um, there's just like so much more than what on the surface it is. All of a sudden, you know, there's like 15 to 19 kids thrown together. You're going to go live out of a van. Um, you're going to do classes. And then you're going to go paddling every afternoon. And I feel like um, they come away just learning so much um, outside of the classroom. Like, all of them, their kayaking skills just improve dramatically. It's kind of ridiculous to witness. And then just, like, their independence and leadership. I know at the beginning, some of the kids, um, you know, will, like, pack up and just, like, have lunch by the river or something like that and you'll forget a knife or something like that and they'll be like oh where's the knife where's where's this where's that and you're like eh, we forgot and by the end you like look over it's like weeks later and some kids got his like spinach leaf like fist deep in the jar of jelly he's like they forgot the knives we're just gonna have to make do and um i don't know it's just cool to see all the kids grow over the time um both into like more experienced whitewater paddlers and um, just grow up a bit. <laughs> so how, how many kids are in the program altogether? Um, the, right now we have 19 and right. there's 15 earlier. 
And then you 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 asked for a job, and obviously you got it. What 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 do you what do you do for them? Um, I teach math and physics. What was your? You went to college. Where did you go to school? Um, I went to school at Dartmouth. Uh, what did you study there? I studied environmental science and uh, engineering. And so, um, arts and engineering. So I'm not really an engineer. <laughs> and so your parents are pretty stoked that you're out kayaking and waitressing. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> it was just like exactly what they were hoping for. <laughs> right. They're like, you got a Dartmouth. That's that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty exciting to like relearn my math that I had all since forgotten in those years and uh, torture kids with triangles um, is what they mostly consider it. So do you teach all classes or how does that, how does it break down like in a day to, I, and this is probably the parent in me starting to ask these questions, but like if a kid goes to school there, like how does it, do you teach all classes or is it, do you just teach one grade or how does that work? Um, so day by day is you wake up, you do morning workout, you have classes and then you go paddling. I, we have six staff at the moment. And like I said, for example, last quarter when we were in Chile, I was teaching Spanish one, geometry, algebra one, and physics. And then there's other staff who, like there's a teacher who primarily teaches English, someone who does a lot of history courses, yada, yada, head coach, media. Um, so it definitely fluctuates, but uh, your and kids you, have to go there. And you sign on for a semester at a time or, or do you have to sign for a whole school year? Or how does that work? Normally, you would. Uh, I think Kappa would prefer that you're there for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but they're in session right now, and I'm not there, so um, he definitely has worked with me to get some time off this last quarter. Right. So, imbalance is a pretty good gig. Yeah. 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 It's and fun. so, this this place has no building or anything. It's just a. It's just a. Uh, it's a traveling school, right? There's no facility to speak of. Right. There's like uh, the headquarters in White Salmon. Um, but other than it's storing the boats and some of my uh, household possessions, um, there's not much going on. Uh, there's no like real place. So it's pretty cool because the kids, y'all load up in a van and sometimes you're setting up camp. Sometimes you're staying in a hostel, but um, you're also teaching kids how to be a bit better dirt bags. So, <laughs> right. So would your, if right. you, if you were in ninth grade, and you, if you went to your parents and said, Hey, I want to go to this kayaking high school, what would they have said? My parents? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I even know what kayaking was at that point in time. Well, <laughs> I mean, let's just pretend. Hypothetically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they'd be really be stoked if I was leaving Buffalo at that point, but yeah. I mean, I guess the question I'm getting at is that, you know, I mean, I think a lot of parents would have reservations about sending their kids off to high school. Like, you know, high school is one thing and kayaking is another, but these are putting these things together. And certainly if it's like a tennis academy, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking the program. I just, I'm trying to flush this out here, but, um, I mean, if you're going to like a tennis academy or golf academy or whatever, uh, I suppose there's some, idea that you could make a living doing this post school, but certainly that's not the case in kayaking. Um, 
I mean, what would you say to a parent who's, who, <laughs> what would you say to a parent who's like, uh, this is crazy. This is kooky talk. Um, well, kind of like I was addressing before, I think there's a lot other aspects of the program, um, other than just the whitewater piece, um, that make it really special. Um, for the whitewater piece, yes, the kids improve and gather more experience. And I think they're more, um, prepared to go on rivers and less of being like led down and more of their own like independent roles. And then in terms of just the classrooms, they're small. So yes, if you're sending your kid to like the average or like a high school, there's, um, however many kids in a class and I had the opportunity to teach a physics class, one with two and one with six and the activities and the one-on-one learning that you can do is, um, awesome with group sizes that small. Yeah. How do you guys handle, how do you guys handle like the idea of risk or one of these kids getting hurt or something like that? I mean, what's the, what's the guidelines there? Um, that's definitely one of the more stressful parts of the job. But, um, like, Brian Berger, the head coach last year, kind of put it. He's, if he didn't think one of the students was going to absolutely style a river, like, they weren't going. And just because there's so much you can learn on things that aren't necessarily pushing your ability all the time. So the kids are improving and they're pushing their skills, but uh, we try to, um, you know, mitigate that risk as much as possible and um just keep everyone on runs that they're very capable of so what are the kids into nicole what do they talk about like are they like like who's their favorite kayaker and what's their big place they thing they want to do what's what's like the kid talk oh man it varies year to year so last year I walked up into a conversation where the kids all like looked at me and gave me that awkward stare. And I was like, Oh God, what are they talking about? And it uh, turned out it wasn't too much. They just were talking about the movie that they were going to make. That was going to be more savage um, than BDP. Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. This is where I pulled my kid out. I'd be like, okay, we're done with this whole. I'll be the producer. I'll help those You're kids pull home. this off. Right on. Um, BDP has gotten too corporate. We need to make some raw shit. <laughs> well, I'm not telling you no, but you know, give it some thought. Um, and then this year, a lot of the kids came from. Uh, uh, the Keenerville program. So, um, up in the Ottawa, that summer camp. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you live with these kids three, four months at a pop, right? Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty close quarters. I mean, I, it must get, there must be a time where you're just like, I need to just get away from this for a little bit. Is that, you have time to do that or how does that work out? Um, yes and no. Um, that's definitely one of my bigger fears coming into the program. It was like, oh man, I know every once in a while I need a little bit of time to do my own thing. Um, will I ever get that? Um, and you're on 24 seven. Uh, you might be one of those nights where you're really hoping for a good night's sleep and someone's knocking at your door at 4am because they're puking. Um, <laughs> or, but then the staff is really good with working with each other. Like recently I was down on the FUDA and um, some of my good friends were around. So I 
after paddling, um, just took off and hung out with them. So you can definitely arrange the opportunities to get a little bit of your own time, go for runs too. So, yeah, I don't want to beat the subject to death. It's, it's kind of interesting. I know, I know for a fact, one of my kids get to be at least my older kid when he gets to be high school age. He's already been talking about this, so I'm trying to come up with uh, a picture of what's going on here. What do you guys do? Like, what do you like? What's a, a semester like in terms of travel? Um, first and fourth quarter uh, are in the U.S. or Canada. So, fly into a destination, pick them up at the airport in the vans home base, rally around, cook your own meals, stuff like that. Um, and then second and third quarters are international. Um, so, for example, this year, second quarter, we went to Uganda and Zambia. And then third quarter, we were in Chile. Hmm. Very cool. All right, so what's next? Like, what's uh, what's next 20 years going to bring, do you think? We're going to go back into uh, engineering? Um, yeah. Environmental sciences? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I can only really think a couple uh, weeks down the road, and I'm planning on driving out to Quebec and go get cold and hopefully surf some big waves. And uh, hopefully next year get hired back at the world class again. And, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll become a astronomical engineer here soon, but I, don't, I reckon that's not going to happen. <laughs> It could happen, but before we, Nicole, we're kind of running out of time, but I'm super interested in this expedition you guys did in Idaho, because I'm not sure I've ever heard of anything mm -hmm. like this. Can you give me the rundown of what you did and where you did it? Um, yeah, we just did like a 10-day trip in the Middle Fork Salmon, um, something I've always wanted to do, just because being that I'm a passionate skier and kayaker, I'll go floating down rivers and just looking at the hills and mountains you're passing through and just wondering um, what they look like uh, in the wintertime and whether or not you could ski them. So it was pretty stoked. Everything lined up and we um, did rafted and had some duckies and access some cool terrain and everything lined up where I don't think it, we got really lucky. <laughs> um, no snow bridges, but still snow in the mountains. And um, yeah. And, and you guys were exploring lines in places that no one had ever been to, correct? You know, I, um, I think another group has been down there skiing before. And then there are some, uh, we also heard of other groups potentially heading in this year. But yeah, when, when, like, when we were assessing the Abbey conditions in one of the spots, we're like, wow, we are um, we're not someplace people normally go we're pretty far out there pretty remote and uh yeah i don't who knows if anyone skied those lines before but man I don't reckon too many people have been out there do you think this kind of thing is going to catch on there's going to be more of this kind of like multi-sport paddling expeditions man i hope so i mean was it rad like do you would you recommend doing something like this oh man ask the as we were floating out, all I wanted to do is spend a couple more days because we were passing these other zones that I really wanted to check out. And it just leaves me to wonder, like, what other places you can do this. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. super excited. I've been inspired by, like, you know, like, Jewel, what Jules did on uh, Waddington yeah. and then, like, what the boys went up and did on the lower Stikine paddle out um, a couple years ago. We're actually hoping to do that, but I don't know if that's going to line up. 
this year. Um, Man. So, yeah, I think there's awesome potential to access just new and different ski terrain and just go paddling. Yeah, what a killer, killer, killer prong of the sport there. You're kind of pioneering. You're on the pioneering edge of that, Nicole. Yeah, yeah right on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Someone's add up here. How, that's what I want to know. How how big is the trust fund? That's Maybe we should just get that uh, off the table. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, trust fund is so yeah. deep. Oh, mine's big too. <laughs> or it's NRS. What are they? What does NRS pay you? Four hundred thousand? Close. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. All right. Well, Nicole, we got to get into we we, we got to. Well, you pieced together amazing life. That's for sure. Uh, it doesn't add up financially. I'm not sure how you do it, but it's amazing. <laughs> like I said, waitressing. I missed out on a lot of parties, but hmm. got to go kayaking a lot. So. All right. Well, Nicole, we're uh, we're kind of putting you in the hot seat here. Um, we are way over time here, and uh, but we are going to close this show down with our everybody's favorite section of the show, our rants and raves. Um, but before we get into our rants and raves, we have a rants and rave sponsor for this show. Um, we do. Yes, we do. Um, I'm going to bust this out right now. Liquid Logic is sponsoring the Rants and Raves section of the show. Um, we here at Liquid Logic would like to share a rave. We'd like to rave about Grace, Weld, and Geltman for getting together and making the Hammer Factor happen. It's been a salty, hilarious, and informative ride. We'd also like to say thanks for the props and thoughts on our boats here on the show. Calling the BRAP, in quotes, the boat that saved kayaking is a great compliment. <laughs> Which, which I don't think that was hyperbolic at all. Which we, which we didn't think was possible from Weld. <laughs> and just so you all know, we have a couple more boats coming out this spring. The smaller Delta V73 is coming as you speak. Um, the Deltas are a cross between the BRAP and the Hefe series, a boat that Grace spent a ton of time in. Also coming out this spring is the Home Slice, our version of old-school slicey fun mixed with modern surf hole and shoes-fitting comfort. Maybe someday Geltman will understand comfort. Cheers, fellas, and keep up the great show. So, Two, two words, Liquid Logic. Smaller brap. <laughs> right, Nicole? The, the horse is dead. We just keep kicking it. Okay. I want a longer brap. Yeah, I want a brap 79. But anyway... We digress here. Um, we're getting into everybody's favorite section of the show. This is where, Nicole, if you don't know, you rant about something that is uh, got you a little eh, 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 or you rave about something that's got you fired up. I'm going to do something. Don't do something softball like, you know, you, you don't rant or don't rave on how great the wilderness is. We all know that. We want some hard rants or raves. Yeah. Try to offend somebody. That's right. Thank you, Geltman. Yeah, 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 we'll give you a second. You'll go. You'll go last. We'll give you a second. <laughs> give me a really second. Well yeah, yeah, I'm. 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 I'm going to go ahead and lead this off, um, right. and I'm going to rave about Kevin Colburn. Do you uh, guys, this is just what I was talking about. No, but let me just tell you what. This is kind I of a softball. Yeah, this is kind of a softball hit here. But let me just tell you, Kevin Colburn has been working on Duke Energy. Duke, Kevin Colburn, I guess I'm raving about American Whitewater. You're right. This is incredibly softball. But yeah. I'm just going to say, for a decade, Kevin Colburn has been working on this FERC relicensing thing for a dam in Great Falls, South Carolina. Looks like the money has come through, and there's getting ready to be a new Whitewater Park in South Carolina. 
Great Falls, South Carolina. So, come on. I got to be able to rave about that. I just found out about it, Kevin, like, literally 10 minutes before I got on the show. Kevin Colburn is one of my heroes. Yeah. For sure. Who's next? Throw it out there. Geltman, you've been thinking the entire show. I have. I got kind right. of a softball rave, too. Oh, <sighs> you guys suck. <laughs> I, man, I try not to rave about the Columbia River Gorge because... Oh, my God. Here we it go. has. Here it gets go. more attention than it needs. But, man, it rained this weekend, and I'm going to rave about the Wind River, which neither of you guys have probably run. I've kind of Wind radar. River. I know Nicole has run the wind a ton, Love but I, I thought I missed proper wind season with my, my shoulder this winter, and we got a ton of rain this winter, and we got nice proper high water wind on Sunday. And it is like, when it's high, man, it's like the first half hour of that run is like the stickine without the pools. It is just like, it's totally scary and totally awesome. And like, yeah, high water wind. That's my rave. I like that one. All right, I'm going to rant. Thank God. I'm going to rant against drone footage. It's over, gang. It is over. Do not send any more drone footage to IR. Do not make any more videos of drone footage. It's done. Period. Really? I'm, I'm putting it, Yes. It's, it, it, there's nothing more you can do with a drone that's of any interest to most people. At this point, when people see drone footage on Instagram, they're swiping past as fast as their fingers can go. I'm going to blow you away with some drone footage. Take all the drones, put them on eBay, get rid of them. I had persistent fantasies about buying a shotgun and just hanging out at Spirit whenever I see anybody down there with a drone and just, like, knocking them out of the sky. Right. (laughs) 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 And there's another t-shirt. It's another T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, thank Nicole. you, Geltman. Forget my back on that one. <laughs> Nicole, on the spot, what would you like to rant or rave about here on the Hammer Factor? Oh man, um, you know what? We're gonna go ahead and uh, rave about Pat Keller. He uh, showed up in the PNW and uh, went and fired off some stout ninety-footer that. I don't know. Where, why hasn't anyone else run it yet? So I'm going to lace it. Like it just few them. So well, giddy up. Was, Way to find a new waterfall. Was he wearing was, a life jacket? <laughs> well played. Course, was that, that was Big Creek Falls, is that right? I think so, yeah. You gone up and looked at that before? Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you? I have, yeah. It's gnarly. Right? Doesn't look like a lot of volume coming off there. It's about, so. it's about 60 feet too tall for me to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. But. Well, well, I don't know how many years. I'm not even going to say it. Um, anyway, that's killer. Yeah. Is there, uh, is there a picture of that waterfall or anywhere? Is that like been posted? Is this something I can see? Because I don't know anything about this. Mm. Uh, social media. Social media. Yeah. Was a shot with a drone? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you for coming on the Hammer Factor, Nicole. Awesome insight. Yeah, for- killer, kill, killer uh, hearing your stories from inside the Dim Shits fan. Lewis and John, always a pleasure, as always. Thanks, guys. All right. There we go. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. That was great. Cheers, y'all. I'm Hammer Factor. <laughs> Biggest fan.
Who's in the back? Who's in the background? There? <laughs> That's me. I'm Hammer Factor's biggest fan. Who is that? The Chomps. Yeah. How you doing, Lewis? Yeah, dude. What's going on, bud? <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm bummed. I usually listen to all these Hammer Factors while I'm skiing, so I'd, I'll have to listen to listen to the rest of this one. But you know what? Let's you put did, a, you didn't miss much. It was the same old horse. <laughs> you know what? Let's put a bonus edition in there. All right, come on the show. Who we got here? Can you introduce yourself as Hammer Factor's biggest fan? Yeah, my name's Eric Johnson, and I'm Hammer Factor's biggest damn fan. <laughs> I right. love it. I'm first to view all the shows every week. So, all right, Eric. So since we got you, and we're going to put you on the spot here. Let's go ahead and hear your rant and rave to shut us down. You get to shut us oh. down. I don't know if I have anything to rant or rave on. Well, um, you say the biggest fan. You, you, you've been probably been stewing on something forever. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and rave on the ski and kayak, uh, the link-up trips. I think it's a, a really cool use of two technologies that were used for discovering and exploring the Earth and still using, to do the, or still using those methods to do that. It's pretty fun and unique way to see, uh, see some unique areas. Um, yeah. There you go, Eric Johnson. We so, should try it. Skis attach really well to sea kayaks. All right. Well, thanks for listening yeah, to the Hammer Factor, and uh, there you go, multi-sport. <laughs>